Hi, my name is Vera V and welcome to my podcast, Stories by Vera V. Today, I have a very special guest by the name of Ian. And we'll be discussing what's it like spending six years on a boat. Interesting stories by interesting people. Stories by Vera V. So to start off, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Ian. Um, I grew up in the Caribbean on an island called St. Lucia. And I guess I was instantly attracted to the water being on an island. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned to sail at a, in my teens on just on small boats, but didn't really get too serious about it. Um, and then I moved to Canada when I was uh, at a young age and was instantly landlocked. So I had no access to the water. <laughs> so um, Yeah, go ahead. So to start off, before we get into your sailing experience, could you talk more about growing up in the Caribbean? Because I feel yeah, like it would sure. be very different than just growing up in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was normal, um, obviously. I mean, we spent Christmas on the beach. Uh, we didn't do the classic uh, Christmas lunch that everyone does here. It was just was there no Christmas the tree? Beach. Yeah, we had a Christmas tree, but it was okay. everything was pretty islandy, I guess. You know, yeah. we, like all the kids walked around barefoot and um, we lived about five minute walk from the beach. So we always had access to that. Did you swim a lot in it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I learned to swim when I was maybe three or four. Really? That's really yeah. young. Who taught you? Yeah. Uh, we had an instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was school like? Um, well, I I mean, I don't really know how to compare it to what it was like here. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, we had, we had, we all had uniforms, um, from a young age, pretty much every school in the Caribbean, St. Lucia has uniforms. Uh, we had the, we had a bell to signal when it was lunchtime, the teacher would ring the bell for everyone to come in wait like a like a physical bell <laughs> yeah yeah an actual bell. Yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i guess i guess pretty old school uh-huh. um yeah i mean there are no computers everything is handwritten um we had a jungle gym in the in the yard and we played cricket during lunch breaks and football did you guys, as well. did you guys ever American have a football. did you have a swim class or anything related to the ocean? Uh, no, no, we didn't have anything related to the sea. So it's it's so strangely in in the Caribbean, it's actually very common for people to not know how to swim. Really? Which is really surprising. Yeah, um, um, most, oh, not most, but um, a good portion of the local population in the Caribbean can't actually swim. How do you know how many? people or just like a general percentage i I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't know Uh uh, an an accurate number my my guess would be maybe 20 percent. okay that that's quite a lot considering yeah yeah considering it's an island but also you said that you moved to canada right after right yes i moved to canada at a pretty young age um my parents got divorced and my mom decided that canada would be uh far enough away from the Caribbean. <laughs> Has she ever told you why she chose Canada specifically, or is it just kind of random? Uh, just the education was a lot better uh-huh. than the Caribbean. And we had, uh, we had family in Canada mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah, I got into snowboarding in Canada because that was about the only <laughs> sport that I could think of. <laughs> Did you miss the ocean while you were there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So when you were in the Caribbean, you also mentioned that that's how you kind of fell in love with water and whatnot. Do you have a specific moment in what in mind where you just realized that? So um, when we were maybe like seven or eight, this is going to sound really weird, but my best friend <laughs> and I, we may, we knew each other since we were two. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, you'd get storms that would uh, pass by. Obviously not, not not hurricanes, but when you get these little storms, we would go to the beach and the waves would be huge. And we just loved uh, body surfing the waves and 
getting hit by the waves. <laughs> yeah, thinking back, it was, I don't know why we were allowed to do that. but A little dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but it was, I mean, it was fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, so I think if I could pinpoint a moment, it would probably be that moment. What's the biggest storm that you've experienced while there? Uh, so I think when I was 10, we were living in the Cayman Islands. Called, it was an island called Grand Cayman. And there was a Category 5 hurricane called Hurricane Ivan. Oh. And we had we were renting a house near the ocean, and we decided that it was going to be potentially safer to stay in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know how bad it was going to be, but we knew it was a Category 5. So we stayed in the bottom floor of this hotel. We thought that potentially... It would either get flooded or the roof could potentially fly off. So we decided that we would uh, stick to the flooding situation rather than losing the roof. Mm-hmm. And so we chose downstairs, and sure enough, it got flooded. There was about five feet of water, so we couldn't stay downstairs anymore. So everyone in the hotel moved to the top floor. Um, we had our dog with us. He was a big uh, German shepherd. Mm-hmm. And so I guess we had some sort of protection, I guess you could call it, because we there was just like so many people uh, hiding in this hotel. How old were you um, during that I was about time? 10, mm-hmm. 10. 10 years old, yeah. Um, and I mean, there was, there was a, I remember there was a gas leak going on in the hotel and there were people smoking in the same area. Yeah, it was it wasn't good. We were just in the hallway, uh, huddled together, hoping that uh, the roof would stay. <laughs> How long did that um, last? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but uh, maybe like sixteen to twenty-four hours. Okay, that's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. the The entire island was underwater. I mm. think there was a, a Google image picture. Um, and you couldn't see the island. Just it because just, of the water? Just buildings. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I That's mean there were scary. people there were people driving boats on the roads and jet skis around town. Wow. Yeah. Much different yeah. from Canada, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when we when we got back to our house after the hotel, there was a a coconut tree that fell must have been half a foot from the doorstep. There was a huge hole in the roof. Uh, it just blew out. And the opposite side of the street, um, our neighbors stayed. And he told us that there were three tornadoes in our neighborhood. And it, for, uh, luckily, our side of the street was fine, but the other side of the street was just devastated. Wow. How long did it take yeah. you to reconstruct for the house and all? Uh, we moved. We moved house. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't going to be a quick process. Mm-hmm. So you moved out of the Caribbean when you were how old? Like, I don't know. Um, so we moved shortly after that hurricane. Uh-huh. Uh, I was 11. And I think when I got to Canada, I pretty much celebrated my 12th birthday as soon as I arrived, I think. So yeah, mm-hmm. 11. Okay. And while you were in Canada, have you had thoughts of sailing the world? Or when did that come? No, I didn't know that was going to be my life at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so in Canada, I did junior high and high school. And I didn't know what I wanted to do in university. I graduated when I was 17. And all my friends were going to university. So I was like, I'll go to university. Um, I I knew I was really good at math. That was about the only subject I could get 100% in. And mm. so I st- uh, started to do an accounting degree and realized about a year and a half after that that I did not want to be an accountant. What made you want to be an accountant in the first place? Just because of the math? Solely factor? because I was good at math. And my grandfather was an accountant. Uh-huh. Why not engineering, though? Because engineering also has to do with math, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So Okay, so kind of like yeah. random. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I dropped out after a year and a half. 
and then moved to England to get my yacht master uh, license. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, I got a job in St. Lucia, skippering a 46-foot sailboat, doing charters. Wow. Uh-huh. What made you yeah. want to get the license in the first place? Do you have? Do you remember a specific moment or maybe a time period where you're like, yeah, maybe this is something I want to do? Um, I, actually, my mom suggested it. So she knew that I had oh. sailed a little bit when I was a kid in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And she said... Well, you know, I mean, people make a living out of uh, working on boats. I didn't know it was a thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go to England, get try this license, see if I like it. Because I had never sailed bigger boats. I'd only sailed small, small boats before. How old um, were you when you first sailed? Oh, I'm not sure. My parents took a sailboat to the Grenadines when I was like four or five, they tied me to the mast so I wouldn't fall off. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so my mom suggested I get my skipper's license in England and tried it out, liked it. It was a super immersive course. So for like three or four months, we basically just lived on a 40-foot sailboat with three or four other people that were getting their license as well. Mm-hmm. And for the people we, that were getting their licenses, were there any that didn't know how to sail at all or have yeah. all had some previous experience? Yeah. Um, some, most of them had previous experience, but there were actually a couple of people that were retired and just wanted to try it for fun because they wanted really? to buy a boat. Uh-huh. They wanted to see if, if they could do it themselves. So yeah, there was one guy who was in his sixties who was retired He was just doing it for fun. He actually didn't end up passing the course, which was sad. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was another guy who was a uh, plane engineer. I think I think he worked for Boeing, who was retired in his 40s and mm-hmm. wanted to try sailing. That's really cool. Yeah. So you were saying about the course, how you lived on a 40-foot sailboat? Yeah, roughly that size. And it was based in England. So we did a lot of sailing around the UK and then uh, between France as well, because we had to, it wasn't, it wasn't only learning how to um, be the skipper, be the skipper or captain of the boat. It was, we had to build miles in order to take the exam. I think mm-hmm. you had to have uh, 2,500 miles um, in charge of a vessel or be second in command in order to be eligible for the exam. How did so you track those? Because it's a lot of people on a boat. So did you guys, like as soon as you switched, you just started tracking it again? There's an instrument on the boat that tracks distance you travel. Mm, okay. Yeah. How often did you switch? Uh, I think we would do two days as captain and switch. And what was the schedule like? How long did you, like, how long were you the captain? How long did you get to rest for during that time? Um, well, that, I mean, that was divided up into um, shore-based courses as well as sailing courses. So I think we were on the boat for a week at a time or two weeks at a time. And then we'd be on land doing charting work and how to navigate in class. Um, but on the boat, uh, that particular schedule was... I think it was two hours on, four hours off. Mm. So you'd be on deck for two hours and then sleeping for four hours. How did you sleep? Because it wasn't, I assume, not like Poorly. on the floor or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in their bed. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was a pretty small sailboat. Mm-hmm. So uh, being, I was always the youngest, so I'd, I'd just take the worst bed. <laughs> take yeah. you on for the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you have a hard time adjusting? Because I imagine when you sleep, it's kind of loud. Yeah, I mean, for the first for the first while, you don't really sleep. But the, so during the course, we didn't really do too many long distance trips. It was mostly, I think, the biggest we did was uh, a day and a half. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, when you're learning, you don't really want to do a, a week long trip on the water. 
Yeah. And while you were sailing, what did you use to navigate with? Like, were you allowed to use the systems, I guess, already in place? Or did you have to do it yeah, by so the, the stars? Boats, the boats we were learning on were pretty old school. They, uh-huh. It was mostly charts, paper charts. And you'd take a position every hour based on your speed and, and uh, heading. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have a GPS on board to as a uh, safety measure, I guess, to make sure you're doing the right thing. Because you want to you cross-reference between where you think you are and where the GPS tells you you are. Mm-hmm. Were you always yeah. close <laughs> between yeah. the two? Okay, yeah. that's good. <laughs> what about star navigation? Because I've heard a lot about, about that. Yeah, so astro navigation is actually a different course. It's um, So what I was doing on that, particular course was yacht master offshore and astro navigation is um yacht master ocean which i did the um, the in class for at a different mm-hmm. date okay which is it's basically just math like you're given formulas mm-hmm. and you have a, a sextant that you use to measure the angle of the sun and the angle of the moon and you have a formula and you use those inputs to guesstimate where you are so you take the measurement of the sun at midday, so when it's right above you, and mm-hmm. the measurement of the sun at sunrise and sunset, and then you use that to have a rough triangulation of where you are. That sounds complex. <laughs> yeah, I never used it. So you don't know how it's, to do it like that? It's, uh, I mean, I, I could do it, but it's mm-hmm. never used. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I, when I was started working on bigger boats, we had really sophisticated systems. Uh-huh. And uh, it was just never relevant to use astral navigation. Yeah, I think it's just more of an old school thing, like you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, every every yacht has backups for the most part. So if one mm-hmm. system fails, you have another way of tracking where you are. So how many systems are there for every yacht? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so on my most recent boat that I worked on, we had two two charting systems. One had two computers linked to it. The other one had one computer linked to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, then we had a tablet with a separate charting system. And then we had um, another GPS system. I think we, in total we had three GPS systems and three charting systems. Yeah. And for the charting systems, how do they work? They just track where the boat goes? Yeah, so you connect it to the GPS of the boat. Oh, okay. And it, I mean, just, just like your phone, if you open up maps, mm-hmm. that's how it works. And also for boats, is there such thing as a black box like there is in the plane? No. <laughs> So if if, if maybe maybe on maybe on commercial vessels, but mm-hmm. on the super yachts I worked on. Mm-hmm. So after you got your license, you started working. When did you get your first job? Like, what was the time interval between the two? Well, I I start I went to Florida and started day working on a big uh, hundred and fifty meter powerboat. Decided I did not want to do that because I basically just cleaned all day. <laughs> So I, I left that job and flew back to the Caribbean. Uh-huh. And I think the day after I arrived, I met this guy in a bar who was my dad's friend. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that he just bought a new 46-foot catamaran that he was looking, and he was looking for a skipper. I'm like, well, I just got my skipper's license. He's like, oh, come by the boat tomorrow. Uh-huh. And then he hired me on the spot. So for the skipper, just to clarify, what does that job in- entail specifically? So what I refer to as a skipper is, is basically the captain of a small boat. So you're in charge of every safety aspect of that boat. And I had one, like, I guess you could call it deckhand or stewardess below me mm-hmm. that I would get uh, to give me a help, give me a hand. But yeah, you're basically in charge of everything on that boat. Okay. Do you feel like that's a tough position to fill? Yeah, I mean, I was 19 at the time, so... Yeah, uh, the, the deckhand underneath me was 46. Really? So it, was, it was a position where you have to 
mature <laughs> pretty quickly and you can't take too much shit otherwise you just get walked over mm-hmm. so with that boat from your dad's friend how long did you work with that um oh, just over a year maybe a year and two months mm-hmm. and i like decided it? it was yeah it was it was fun for a while we had um it was i guess sort of high-end uh day charters and a couple overnight trips around the caribbean but um i mean it got boring after a while pretty repetitive um Mm -hmm. so i got offered a job to help sail a boat from thailand to madagascar Uh and i was like i can't can't say no to that opportunity Uh so i told my boss i got offered this job and he said yeah well I figured you were going to be leaving soon anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was easy. He was a nice guy. Did you have to give two weeks notice? Yeah. I think I gave him a month. Okay. That's a good time. Yeah. Okay. And then for your new job, they were just telling about? Yeah. So they flew me from St. Lucia to Thailand. And... Um, immediately put me to work it was a a swan 90 it's a Mm -hmm. 90 foot sailboat and swans are like i guess you'd call it like the bentley of cars Mm -hmm. um similar to that so it's a really high-end sailboat most most 90 foot sailboats will run you like a mil and a half to two million dollars this was nine million (laughs) dollars so it's very pricey (laughs) so it's a pretty expensive sailboat but really nice is it also the biggest boat you've worked on thus far? No, the biggest boat I've worked on was 130 foot. 130 foot. Oh, wow. How, how much was that worth? <laughs> that was actually cheaper. Really? Was, yeah, I think it was purchased for $8 million And right after I left, it was sold for less than that. I don't know the okay. exact number. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I joined that. 90 foot sailboat as the deckhand so which is the lowest rank on a sailboat or on a boat mm-hmm. and i was basically just learning how it how it is to be on super yachts because it's run very differently from what i was used to mm-hmm. yeah so everything needs to be spotless polished if you can't see a reflection in it, it's not clean enough <laughs> sort of thing so uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was really good. I think we had one month to get familiar with the boat. And that was when I started learning about um, higher tech navigation systems and uh, using more radars and um, systems like that that we didn't have in the Caribbean. Was that much or different? I worked on. Uh, yeah, it took it took a while to, to learn for sure. And mm-hmm. most of the stuff you you don't really learn until until you're in like sailing the boat where you actually mm-hmm. use it to measure distances and navigate mm-hmm. stuff like that. So as the deckhand, what were your hours like for work every day? Um, this particular, so each boat is different. It just depends on the captain mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh-huh. Uh, this was actually the, the worst hours I ever had. Really? In any <laughs> job I've worked. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was, um, uh, so sunrise to five o'clock and I think sunrise was like 7am over there. I don't, I don't uh-huh. really remember, but, and that was six days a week, Monday get, to Saturday. Did you get overtime for that? <laughs> Shit, no. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. You work until the captain says he's done enough. Uh-huh. So on yeah. the boat, was the environment with the staff, was it kind of like everybody just really respected the captain or did they more fear them? Um, so I've had multiple different captains mm-hmm. and um, I would say half of them try a combination of being feared but liked at the same time, mm-hmm. um, which in my opinion didn't work because <laughs> most of the time you ended up just being pissed off at the captain. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um this this captain well yeah he tried a combination of the two and it was it was a weird situation because the first mate on the boat was ready to be captain 
but the captain didn't want to step down as the captain because he liked his role as captain. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and they were both Italian, so they butted heads a lot. Mm-hmm. No offense to any Italian soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> How old were they? Were they the same um, age? The first mate was about 35. The captain mm-hmm. was 52, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the captains, what's the average age to step down or to retire? Um, I mean, it really just depends. A lot of captains, if they're offered a managerial role to, to work from shore, Mm-hmm. They'll step down as captain. Um, the oldest captain I've worked for was 62. Okay. Um, and I think the oldest captain I've seen is about 75. <laughs> that's old. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically when you don't know what else to do with your life, so you just carry on being a captain. Uh huh. <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so back to that Italian captain. Yeah. You said that he tried a combination of being feared but also being liked. What did that yeah, look so, like? Well, he would he would do things like, "All right, you guys can take two hours off early today," and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, great! Working six days a week, and I can take two hours <laughs> off early. Thank, thank you so much." <laughs> and then he would he would he would get annoyed if you didn't say, "Oh, thank you." Really? <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird, and uh-huh. <laughs> he would like occasionally have to like or thinks he has to raise his voice and like grab your attention <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, I had I had issues with issues with that captain, but um, I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a- yeah, yeah. Looking looking back, it was a really good learning experience okay that's good yeah so then what happened after that boat so that boat um well we sailed to madagascar from that boat which was a 18 day trip across the indian ocean Mm -hmm. and that's 18 days of not seeing any land and it was um just four of us so we were sailing for two hours and sleeping for two hours so it was a two-hour on, two-hour off shift for 18 days, which is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wake up slightly before your shift starts. And then when you go to sleep, it takes you half an hour, 45 minutes to fall asleep. Because mm-hmm. the boat is just constantly leaning over mm-hmm. the whole time. Do you think you got any deep sleep in that? <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Okay. Mm. For the first day, absolutely not. Um, but I know there were there were times where I was just so tired, and I would just like conk out as soon as I hit the bed. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, we had a few we had a few rough storms on that boat as well, where everyone needed to be on deck. So, mm-hmm. what was the biggest one out of those? Uh, well, we had waves, maybe ten to fifteen feet high, uh, completely oh. submerging the boat. Like oh we would, gosh. we'd sail over one wave and crash into another one, and the wave would just completely consume the boat. Was that scary? Yeah, we were. I mean, we were clipped on, so we we didn't fall off. And one time, I got hit off the wheel, and got thrown into the lifelines. Oh my boat. gosh! Uh-huh. So if I wasn't clipped on, I probably would have gone overboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was scary. But um, I mean, you do you have a job to do? is to keep the boat safe to get it to an island in Madagascar so the billionaire can use it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> what a fun job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for the storms, how long did they last for? Uh, it varied. Sometimes you'd get what we call squalls, mm-hmm. which last for half an hour, but you could see it. You could see them on the horizon coming in. Um, it, was, it was just like heavy rain and a lot of wind for a short amount of time. So the and best get, way, oh, go ahead. You'd get others that would be over a day, two days. Yeah. Sometimes you're sailing with a storm. So you're going the same direction as the storm, which takes even longer for the storm to pass. Uh-huh. But during storms and times like these, what's the safest way to stay safe? Is it just to be clipped on, like you said? 
Yeah, so we all had life jackets that had AIS positioning systems on them. So they were triggered where if they got submerged by water, it would automatically inflate and activate this beacon, which was positioned on all the charts on the boat. Mm -hmm. So you could see exactly where that person was if they fell overboard. Okay. And then if that happened, who would come and get you? Because let's say you all fell overboard. Yeah, Yeah, in a hypothetical situation that you don't, who would be able to come in and rescue you? Because who has your location? So the the location, so like departing a port, you have a person on land who knows that you're leaving. So we had Mm -hmm. a like a home office, I guess you would call call it, Mm -hmm. and we'd uh, we'd tell them that we're taking this route across the Indian Ocean, expected to be there in seventeen to eighteen days. Um, and there are ways to send emails in the middle of the ocean, depending on what boat you were on. There are? Yeah. Like what? I forget what the actual system is called, but mm-hmm. it's, um, the antenna is called a VSAT, which basically gives you, um, small amounts of internet mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean, but you, you can't send pictures. You can send like a text message or, um, an email with not a lot of information in it. Did you guys send anything during your 18 day trip? Yeah, I would update my family. Okay. Um, where I was. And you can track the vessel online. There's a website called um, Vessel Finder or something like that. And you can uh-huh. just punch in the name of the vessel and the type of vessel, and mm-hmm. it will show you a live location of where the boat is. That's good. Yeah. And for that boat, while you were traveling, how many people were on it? Uh, four crew. Okay, including we were supposed to have yeah, including myself. We were supposed to have five, but the stewardess that was hired, um, apparently she gets violently seasick. Don't know why she was working on a boat, but yeah. <laughs> she they just they flew her to Madagascar instead of sailing with us. Uh huh. And so when you arrived on to Madagascar, was that your first time being there? Yeah. Yeah. It was my first time sailing across the ocean. First time in Asia. First time in Madagascar. It was overall a good trip. Uh, Madagascar was interesting. Mm -hmm. We were based on an island called Nozi Bay. And it was definitely a culture shock for me. Um, You know, there's obviously uh, a lot of poverty over there and People live, a lot of people live in huts and on the beach. I mean, there are islands that it's like, I don't want to say tribal people, but mm-hmm. it's something similar to that. Okay. You know, te- technology doesn't exist on some of the islands over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting to see that part of the world that I hadn't seen before. And, you know, you arrive in a flashy sailboat and you get hundreds of people in their canoe swimming up to you asking for anything Mm -hmm. Um, when we arrived it was we didn't know what the crime was like so we had to do anchor watches where one person would have to be awake all the time i think we did that for the first four or five days so there's one Mm -hmm. person on deck awake all the time and if anything were to happen they just wake everyone up and how long did the person have to watch for 24 hours? Uh, no, we did two-hour two hour shifts. So okay. Because there's four of us, you could be awake for two hours and then sleep for six hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happened after Madagascar? Um, well, we spent, spent three months in Madagascar. We were finding diving destinations and kite surfing destinations for the owner so that he could have a a nice trip flying down uh-huh. on his private jet. <laughs> was uh, that part of your job? <laughs> like in the job description? Yeah. Okay. No, not, not in the job description. <laughs> yeah. But it uh-huh. was, it was, it was expected. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it was fun. We, we got to see uh, all these epic snorkeling spots and, um, you know, there were sharks in the water. And, um, we, we, we saw a, what do you call it? Um, whale shark. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was really cool. I got to see sea life that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And um, when the owner was on board, I took a two-week holiday because there weren't enough crew cabins for everyone. So myself and the other delivery crew took a two-week holiday in Madagascar. And we got given, I think it was 50 euros a day as a as like survival money, which in on this island, you live like a king of 50 euros a day. What did you do on your holiday? I met a bunch of friends on the, on the island I was at. They were uh, locals to Madagascar and they came to Nazi Bay. I think they said they go to Nazi Bay two or three times a year mm-hmm. um, to party. Basically. I didn't know. I didn't realize it was a party island. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I met with them and, They showed me around, showed me all the good spots to go to. It was it was a overall a really good trip. It, they they do this they do this thing in at a few. I guess I guess it's a it's a Madagascar thing. But if uh, if like one person starts this chant in the bar, mm-hmm. everyone everyone does the same thing. Yeah, and I couldn't I can't I can't repeat it. But it's like this combination of clapping and singing and it, it was it's just so cool to see the entire bar of hundreds of people doing this uh, at the same time so like everyone's really happy even though i mean majority of them are in extreme poverty they're just so happy where did they learn this chant do you think i have no idea but it was uh-huh. it's really cool to experience mm-hmm. all right yeah And so after Madagascar, you were there for three months, then what? And then we sailed back to Thailand, um, which was another 18 days. This time we had six people. We had a chef this time, so we didn't have to cook our own food. Uh-huh. What did the chef cook? <laughs> oh, really good food. Yeah. yeah. He was another Italian, but he could. He was very good at cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was All your favorite meal? Uh, we... So on the on our trip, we caught this huge uh, mahi mahi. It was like forty five pounds. Wow! And we had half of it as sashimi, and like sashimi, ceviche, a whole bunch of uh, raw mahi. And mm-hmm. he put the head and half the body in the oven with some potatoes, which was just so good. Yeah. 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 So we caught a lot of fish on the trip. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> which was good. Yeah. And then we had whatever the whatever nice food the boss didn't eat. So we had filet mignons in the freezer and a bunch of other nice treats. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And then on the, when we arrived in Madagascar, the captain asked if I wanted a permanent job. So I said, yeah. And stayed on with them for a year and a half. We did um, trips in Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia. Um, Indonesia was really cool. We were in Bali for a couple of months, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. So for your permanent job, what was the job title for it? Deckhand. Oh, okay. Yeah. How long did it take you to level up from that? So after that job, I took a job on a uh, 40-meter performance sailboat. Um, which at the time, I think it sailed across the Atlantic in like six and a half days or something. It held the record for 14 years before a different boat beat it. Oh my gosh, six and a half days. Yeah, something crazy. I don't remember mm-hmm. what the exact thing was. but mm-hmm. So I had a job on that, and on that I was bosun. So like in terms of ranking, you have uh, captain, first mate, boats and deckhand depending on the size of the boat sometimes mm-hmm. you might just have a captain first mate sometimes you have uh, captain first mate deckhand mm-hmm. so it just depends on the size of the boat but yeah i was on that boat for a while and it turned out the owner had no money so we all left unpaid on that boat so for about for, four months for four months oh yeah we got we got paid once and Yeah, no one else. We didn't get paid for three or four months. Did anybody file a lawsuit of any sort? 
Uh, well, so the boat was registered in Malta, and you have to go to the Maltese court to oh. to do all that. So we just couldn't be bothered. So um, mm. I got a job. I got a, offered a job on a thirty-seven meter sailboat, which is like a hundred and twenty-two feet or something like that. Okay. Um, as the first mate in um, the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. so I took that job. And while I was on the plane, I called the manager of the boat that wasn't paying us. I said, I've quit my job <laughs> and I'm not coming like back. you're on the plane? Yeah, because <laughs> I wanted to like secure it before I told them to go fuck himself, which I did. And um, yeah, so I got offered, a, I took that first mate's position, mm-hmm. which was, it was a, it was a good, uh, good role for me because I had told the captain that I had been a first mate before and he said, all good. He'd be willing to show me how it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that was like primarily charters in the Mediterranean. So we did Monaco, South of France, uh, the big spots like Saint-Tropez, mm-hmm. um, did a little bit of Spain, um, Greece. Um, where else did we go? Italy. We did a lot of Italy. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that was charters primarily, and and the owner used the boat as well. Um, yeah, really, another great experience for me. So for your first mate position, how was it different from the previous ones you've had? Like, what are the new responsibilities for it? So as first mate, you're in charge of maintaining all the safety equipment on the boat. Um, mm-hmm. You're also like a crew manager. So the captain relays uh, information to you, or sometimes you have to just think what the captain would like okay, or what the owner of the boat would like and relay mm-hmm. that to the crew. Um, and then you're maintaining all the deck equipment. So all the big hydraulic winches that used to lift the sails up and checking sure all the sails are in good quality. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's any work you have to do at the top of the mast, you're the one that has to do it. Oh, uh, which is like 160 feet in the air. Uh huh. Let's tell you. Yeah. Did you so, become yeah, close? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Did you become close to the captain during that time? Yeah. So that boat had my favorite captain on it. He was mm-hmm. a guy from New Zealand, and he was like the ideal uh, person that I needed to to learn from in my opinion um he was hands-on so he always he he told me that if you ever become captain just make Mm. sure you're not a fat captain (laughs) which he didn't he didn't mean like actually big Mm -hmm. he meant like someone who just sits down at his desk and does nothing Yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah so he he lived by that word so he was on deck helping me all the time and on charters, we had rotation, so I would have the late night shift and he would have the early morning shift. So he'd get up in the morning and clean the boat. Mm-hmm. And then I would be uh, staying up till 3, 4 in the morning. Um, we had a 30-foot tender, which is a, it's like a tender is like a smaller boat that you mm-hmm. attach to the bigger boat that you tow around. Uh-huh. Then I would you know, take the charter guests to clubs pick them up at four in the morning and bring them back to the boat. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if, if anyone wanted to go on land, I had to take them. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, it was fun. And then, and, and like after Charlie, I guess, got off, you'd party with the crew. It was a good time. That, that was probably um, one of the, my more memorable experiences. Um, on boats how long were you first mate for on that boat i was only first mate for about five months and then the boat was being sold so it went to the shipyard um where i left and then joined a i think after that i took two or three months off i I lived in spain and i was really enjoying mallorca which is an island in spain Mm -hmm. so i was renting renting a room there and had a bunch of friends that I'd hang out with there. Um, but then I took a job in Valencia on a smaller boat as the first mate. 
and which is also a swan. It was a hundred foot swan. Um, I met, I made a bunch of good friends there, friends that I still talk to to this day, but uh-huh. the captain and I just didn't, didn't see eye to eye, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a bit of a drunk. So he'd come home at two, three in the morning, uh, make a mess, not get out of bed till 11. Mm-hmm. And he would get mad at me for not telling him to tidy up his stuff. <laughs> that was yeah, that was one of one of the things he said to me. Uh-huh. Like, you, you should be telling me to tidy up my mess. <laughs> You're a 50-year-old man. I'm 23. Why should I be telling you to tidy up your mess? <laughs> uh-huh. So that lasted about three months and uh, told him where I think he should go. And then I took a job on a 130-foot sailboat as the first mate, mm-hmm. which was in the Caribbean on an island called Antigua. Mm-hmm. So I flew there. Um, that was the 60-year-old captain that I worked for. Um, and another job where I was given more responsibility because it was this was more of a captain who basically just let me run the boat, myself and the engineer for the most part. Mm-hmm. So myself and the engineer would, you know, create job lists and to-do lists and worked from there and just got it approved by the captain. Uh, The captain would deal with the financials of the boat and communicating with the owner. Mm -hmm. So while you were doing that job, job, did you have any thoughts or aspirations to become captain? Yeah. At the time I, uh, I was thinking about being captain. I didn't know if I wanted the the, the captain life, I guess you could call it. Because mm-hmm. it was like throughout working on yachts for six years, I had met captains who were, um, for, the, for the most part, most of them were really big drinkers. Mm-hmm. And they, they always kind of had a bit of a lonely life because – some of them would either just be single for the rest of their life and some of them would be married with kids that they couldn't really see for half the year or wives at home that they couldn't see for half the year, sometimes even more than half the year. Yeah. And I had always said that that's not the life that I wanted, but if I was offered, if I was, if there was a job available where I could have a home base and not have to sail around the world for half the year, then I would, I would consider it. But mm-hmm. it's like those jobs, captains, if they get those jobs, they don't leave those jobs. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult to find jobs like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that what made you quit sailing? Um, what made me quit sailing was I had, well, I had an, I had an aunt who was very sick and I I wanted to go home to the Caribbean to spend some time with her and help out with my mom because she had, she has Down syndrome and she was staying with my mom. My mom was looking after her. So I wanted to fly there and help look after her. And um, another reason was I had uh, started learning about investing Mm -hmm. and I guess trading, you could call it. And I, I made a, a decent amount of money doing that. And I wanted to see if I could make it work as a source of income. So, you know, I, I, I left the job and I think I was on the boat for over two years, two years and a couple months. So I'd saved up a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a situation where I didn't have to stress about finances for a while. Um, so, yeah, learned taught myself mm-hmm. and so far it's worked out and um still lots to learn but so far I'm doing pretty well uh-huh and so for yeah. sailing would you say that you viewed that more as a job and work or more as a passion um I would say it was more of a job mm-hmm. um the the reason the reason I liked it was because it, it gave me the lifestyle that I wanted 
so I didn't have to pay for an apartment. I didn't have to pay for food. Um, we were always in really nice places um, where I could kite surf. And there was always a group of friends to hang out with. So it gave me a really good lifestyle with a, a good source of income. But mm-hmm. uh, sailing isn't my passion. No. Mm-hmm. And so since you've been around the world so much and have seen a lot, would you ever want to travel around the world again? Perhaps not in a boat, but some other way? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to maybe visit the places where I was on a boat and um, I guess explore them when I'm not working mm. or when I'm not, uh, I mean, when I have time to explore them, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I want to do traveling for sure. Japan is on my list. New Zealand is on my list. I have friends in New Zealand that I, I could go stay with if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I love so- traveling. To, for clarification, you would never want to sail again <laughs> for a long time. Um, I don't. I don't see myself working on a boat anytime uh-huh. soon. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what about maybe? I don't know how that works, but maybe renting a sailboat and just chartering a sailboat. Yeah. Um, it's just it's not something that I would get excited about. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. No. Okay. And I guess to conclude, what's, can you think of any moral lessons that you've learned throughout your time traveling? Any moral lessons that I've learned? Yeah. Or just one that really sticks out to you. <laughs> um, I would say um, being humble and being able to accept when you're wrong. Because, um, I mean, many situations where, Um, you know, you, you feel like you have a bit of an ego and if you just take a step back from the situation, you know that maybe what the person you disagree with is suggesting could actually be right. And uh, being humble has allowed me to realize that, um, that, you know, I'm, I don't always know what's best and um Yeah, there are people who have more experience in what you're doing. Oftentimes, they're, they're, you should listen to what they say. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's yeah. a, it's a very good lesson to conclude <laughs> this episode with. <laughs> Do you have any final words before we part? <laughs> uh, no, not that I can think of. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your journey To me personally, it was really interesting to hear kind of like a different perspective or somebody who has seen so much and traveled to so many places. And yeah. for anybody listening, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs>